Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Hello, Bengals fans, and welcome to Chalk Talk. I am Matt Minnick, and joining me today is somebody who is very well known to Bengals fans, the former host of another Bengals podcast. It is Joe Goodberry. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's it's fun right now as a Bengals fan, I think, even though we're coming off of uh, this season. But, you know, uniform talk is exciting. I get, people are energized out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I got duped. I, I, I fell for a, a fake Schefter account retweeted that, uh, that they – the big news that came out was uh, a, a Lawson extension, and that was ah. not the case. So – uh, but, you know, it feels good to have this uniform talk afterwards, <laughs> and, and hopefully the people that saw me retweet that uh, forgot about it, and now I'm mentioning it again here, so. Yeah, that, good I job. everyone has had that at least once in their Twitter experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, yeah, it, it's one of those things, just like just like everything else in life, like when you, when you go too fast, you make mistakes, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of... Uh, Speaking of mistakes, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get into the coaching staff here. Um, now, you were you were a guy who is a proponent of hiring a young, offensive-minded coach. Yep. And I mean, really, this job—it was a different job two years ago because you didn't have the first overall pick, mm-hmm. and you didn't have Joe Burrow at your quarterback. And I mean, honestly, if this job opened up right now. Uh, it's it's more valuable, you know. Uh, you know because you've got you've got uh, Joe Burrow there, you've got something. But you, know, you had talked a little bit about you kind of needed to take a guy that maybe needed to grow into the job a little bit, and maybe take a guy who was a year away from being a, a hot candidate uh, because he couldn't really compete necessarily for that top level coach. And we ended up with with Zach Taylor, young offensive mind. You know, part of the the McVay tree. Um, you know, personally, I stepping away from the offensive side. I like a lot of the things he gets into in his interviews, and you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's hard because we're not there. And you know, even even Paul Daner and Morrison, those guys, like nobody's there right now. James Rapine, you know, nobody's there because of COVID, so we don't know what really happens behind closed doors, what really happens on the practice field. But I love the philosophy that he's preaching to the media, anyway. Um, what what is your take on Taylor? Obviously, the results haven't been there, but do you think there's a chance that that he can go, grow into this job and he can be the guy that we we hoped he could be? Yeah, I think it is important. I love the way that you started this because looking back at when they had to make this hire, and now maybe that's their own fault. They waited too long to let go of Marvin or, or move on from that situation, right? I mean, uh, in hindsight, if we're playing that, 
2015 was probably a great time to say, all right, uh, you got a loaded roster. Let's see if someone else can take this team over the top. And they didn't. They stretched it out too far, and they got to the point of – remember Todd Grantham, remember they're bringing in uh, – looking for a defensive coordinator, and I believe the report there was he just he felt the defensive stars were too old on this team. Uh, and you look you look at the offensive side, and, well, A.J. Green was getting towards his final f- few years, maybe his final year in prime if uh, if the Bengals were lucky last year with him. Uh, and and a- Andy Dalton, for as much as we like him personally and, and being the quarterback of the last generation of this team, uh, I think a lot of teams or, or let's say a lot of GMs or, or, or head coaches would look would have looked at that situation and said, yeah, that's probably not where I want to be stuck unless they're going to guarantee me if we get into the right position, I can take a quarterback because most teams or, or uh, most coaches would like their own guy and then a guy that maybe had a little bit more upside. So wasn't a very desirable situation. And I really believe in the point that they were going to have to find a guy that was a few years out. And what I mean by that is, you're going to interview some guys here and whether that be at the time, Hugh Jackson, and you know, it wasn't a, a great list of people at the time, Josh McDaniels uh, turned them down. But when you, when you do talk to a Zach Taylor type, and if you believe in that interview, okay, he is a leader. He can get guys to rally. He knows what he's talking about on offense. Uh, he's smart enough. He's dedicated enough. He's got the right mixture of things you look for in a, in a, in a coach. He doesn't have the experience he's got to figure some things out, obviously. That's okay if you feel like this roster is two years away anyway, which if we were being honest at the time, it probably was. And because of the reasons I just I just said, they needed to retool and revamp in a few areas and get some new energy in there. And now we are two years from that point, and we look back and we can say, all right, what is Zach Taylor? Is he on that path? I think statistically it's hard to make the argument because when you only get, you know, six wins in two years, it's like, ah, you know, you wish it was eight. Is that a big difference? Kind of mm. is, you know, you wish it was 10 because then you really won't even have an argument. They go five and 11, two years in a row. I'd say, okay, we're, we're on the right track. Uh, or at least you, there's a chance for it. Uh, it. It's just the numbers wise. So you go game by game and you know, not me, I'm not going to just look at one number and say, oh, six wins. That's it. And no one's overcome this thing. Because there's new ones, right? There's gray area for everything. We know how many games they blew this year, man. They they could have started off six and three at one point. Um, and I, you know, I think if you you play that game, you can make excuses for a lot of people. So that's the danger of it. But it's the truth that they they didn't figure it out until it was way too late in this year, until half the roster was injured. But that's also kind of the story of the first year. The Bengals were still playing for Zach Taylor down the stretch last year and this year. You want to see that. So, again, what the answer to the question is, I still don't know. But is there a chance that he could be the guy? Yeah, I do actually think there is still a chance. So, I mean, honestly, they they should have won more games this year. And, and, and you got to think that if Burrow is there, they win a couple of those games. You know, maybe yeah. they probably beat, beat Washington in that game. Um, you got to think they beat the Giants mm-hmm. uh, as close as that game was. Maybe they even have a chance against the Dolphins. Um, but again, what does that really mean? You know, wh- what does that number really mean necessarily? This year, I I always thought that they were probably going to win like six games. You know, and that, that was my thing at the beginning of the year because it wasn't a very good, very difficult schedule. You know, and we didn't even know how bad the NFC East was going to be. But it, but it, you look at that second half of the year and you're like, all right, that's, they're going to win some games in the second half of the year. Next year, 
it looks a lot more difficult already. And we don't know when they're playing, but you know, we know they're playing uh, the Chiefs. We know they're playing the Packers. Uh, so you're going to see some high-level competition in addition to being in perhaps the most, uh, you know, the deepest uh, uh, division in the NFL right now. So what is it? I mean, what what does he need to do next year? Is it is it a number of wins? Is it being in contention for the playoffs in December? Do they have to make the playoffs? Like, what does he have to do to, to prove that he's the guy and that we're not wasting uh, Joe Burrow's rookie contract? Right. Yeah, that's a big thing, right? That's, like, number one on every list of whether it's team building right now, head coach decisions, uh, who to draft, who to sign. It's number one, Joe Burrow's plastered right over top of everything. Of Don't forget, Joe Burrow's on a rookie contract, and that means you have five years to maximize this roster and, you know, do, do your thing and, and get as close as you can for a, for a franchise that probably won't, um, you know, stretch the cap as hard as possible. You need to, you need to do this under his rookie deal, it seems. And when you look at Taylor and you say, okay, what do I want for 2021 to make sure he's the guy? I, I have to assume Vegas betting odds are going to have him as the first coach fired. Uh, you know, probably the guy who doesn't make it through the, the entire year. If he starts off the way he did the last two years. They can't have that. That's obvious. Okay, that's that's the easy part to say. What can't they have? They can't start off two and six or or worse. Uh, so I think when I look at Taylor's trajectory, I also it has to be tied with Joe Burrow, his trajectory too. When you draft a quarterback, especially you draft him number one or high or an easier guy, year two is you better be competing for the playoffs. And I mean, I know where the roster is. It doesn't look like it's ready. I know where the coaching staff is. They don't look. They don't get inspire a lot of confidence that they're at that position, but the timeline is the timeline. Uh, if you have five years to get this done, year two, you're competing for it, whether it's Kyler Murray and the Cardinals just not making it. But most guys, most uh, good quarterbacks are year two, man. They're fighting for it or in the playoffs. And if not, then it has to be year three. So we're at that already of if you're not surrounding the right guys around Burrow, you're going to create the version of Burrow that's not the, the best version you need for this franchise. And that's definitely what you don't want. So they need to be eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven. They need to be in that range. And I know the schedule is tough, but it is what it is. This is the timeline. Year two, you've got to be going for it because year three, you could win the Super Bowl year two with a rookie, with a, with that rookie contract quarterback. You could definitely win it year three. And that needs to be the timeline. We can't forget it. I know what the roster looks like. I know what I'm saying. That is the expectation. That is the timeline. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't make that excuse, and you can't get an extra year of uh, Burroughs contract because you're not ready for it. Right. <laughs> so, so you yeah, get ready. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. And uh, you make a good point. The schedule, the schedule. I, I think that was at the end of the year. Um, I, I was, you know, I, I was talking a little bit about how the defense was playing better at the end of the year, uh, and you know, a lot of feedback I got on that was. Well, yeah, they're not playing teams that are any good. And it's like, okay, well, the these are the teams they're playing, and they're holding them to twenty points. So, right. <laughs> like, like we don't make the schedule. So, uh, but but yeah, it's the exact same thing. At the opposite, now it's like, all right, well, just because you're seeing the Packers and the and the Chiefs uh, next year, you still got to figure out how to win some of those games, and, you, and you know, definitely got to figure out how to win some of these conference or divisional games. Not to cut you off, but that point of. You- even these good teams, watch the Chiefs, watch watch the Bills, Packers, Bucks. They destroy these bad teams, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and no one says, "Oh, you put up forty five on you know on the the Texans." 
Well, you're supposed to. So, you know, that's – and I'm not sure. saying that's the Bengals. I mean, that if, if it's the Chiefs doing that. But you get to the playoffs, right, you play against good teams, and you're seeing the Bills score 24, and you're seeing the Chiefs score 26. And it's like, yeah, that's – because that is the level of competition. So I, I never got that either. I, I think you should beat the bad teams. You should play good defense against the bad offenses. You should play good offense versus the bad defenses. If you don't, then we got a problem. So, like, for me, it's like people want to discredit it. I don't think you discredit it. You discredit it if they play, perform poorly against those teams. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, yeah, that's what – it's how are you playing. It's not necessarily, you know, the scoreboard in all those situations. It's how are you playing. Uh, it, you know, is everybody on their assignment? Are they able to match up where they do have some difficult matchups? Uh, definitely with you on that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, a, a defense against, uh, against Colt McCoy – uh, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that much, uh, but but yeah, you can still look at it. J- just like you know, you're you're big into the draft. Like you still watch the film when you know they're playing a middle of the road team when they're playing a uh, an FCS team or something like oh, that. Yeah. You know, it, you want to see the matchup against Bama, but when you when you see how the guy is playing, you know, is he dominating the way he should against some, some lower competition? Is he still doing all this technique, all those sort of things? You can still make that kind of evaluation no, no matter who they're playing. Oh, it's a different evaluation, like you're saying. Like, if I'm watching a guy versus Bama, I'm like, let's say it's an offensive lineman, right? I'm watching a left tackle versus Bama. I'm like, ooh, it's going to be it's gonna be a tough situation. I mean, he's going to have to compete for every single win that he's going to get. And you want to see that because that's what it's going to look like on Sunday. So it's a different evaluation than watching him versus Appalachian State where I'm watching him, I'm like, I want him to show off. I want him to have his best game. I want to see what his high upside is in a situation where his team clearly outmatches the other team. Because, listen, we used to talk about those Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap would beat up on right tackles, bad ones, right? And, like, good ones, it'd be like, eh, whatever. But you need those six games where he's going to beat up on that right tackle to win six games in the NFL. I mean, sure. it's, you're not you're not just running through good teams all year. You better win those eight eight games against bad teams. And I think that's where, when we say we started this off, well, what if they, uh, so what if they beat the Giants? What's it really matter? What's it matter if they beat, you know, some of these poor teams on the stretch, the red, uh, the Washington football team? Well, it matters because that means you're better than them. And that's the first step into getting where we need to go. Absolutely. Now, when we talk about the offense, so obviously there weren't any changes to the coaching staff at the coordinator level, but you can argue, you can make a really, really strong argument that since you're, Head coach is calling the plays. You have an offensive-minded head coach that they made an even bigger change than changing either of the coordinators, and that was uh, bringing in a new offensive line coach Mm -hmm. in Frank Pollock. This was a name that that fans wanted. Uh, It was a name that uh, Joe Mixon and Billy Price specifically were very enthusiastic when this happened. Uh, What are your thoughts on Frank Pollock? I like him. I, I think Pollock, from a metric standpoint, um, because there's a, what, first of all, like, what's an O-line coach do besides drafting technique and um, game planning, right? I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize they are run game coordinators in the NFL. And he got that official title, but that, I mean, all that is security for him because that's what you expect your guy to do. So it matters a lot. This isn't just like getting a linebacker coach or or maybe a wide receiver coach. This is, if it's not, how would you rank it, right? Head coach, especially because our guy calls plays, offensive coordinator, and I might put O line coach over quarterbacks coach. Even I, I know the 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 importance of the quarterback, but O line coach is actually getting 
scheme stuff in there uh, throughout the week in terms of run game. So it's an important job, and, and it's not just you know that's why Joe Mixon's happy because it's a that's a big part of what he's doing, and mm-hmm. and so uh, you know just from there, I like Frank Pollock. I think before he was like a wide zone scheme kind of guy, Bill Callahan, West Coast stuff. Great. I want that. I think that fits this offense. It's going to be no problem. But he actually had to adapt and do some different things with the Jets. And I thought that worked, too, at times. And despite being with Adam Gase and whatever's going on with the New York Jets, uh, Pollock was fine. And looking at metrics, and that's where I started to go with this before I got sidetracked, he typically gets above expected, whether that be yards per carry or uh, protection-wise. His offensive lines end up above where his talent level on, on his roster currently sits. Um, so that's a good thing. You want that. Jim Turner was the opposite. He usually got less than what the talent level was on the roster based on advanced data. So uh, complete 180 there. You don't have to have a Bill Callahan uh, to have a good offensive line. You just have to have not a Jim Turner. And so I, <laughs> I, I'm very happy from that regard. So, yeah, I'm with it. I think that is a big addition. And, you know, for the most part, I like this offensive staff now that the O-line coach is there. So I didn't have a problem. I, there was some rumors and rumblings that it, Brian Callahan could have been gone. I think they just wanted a fall guy. It, it, that's the way it seemed. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad, actually, he, that he's still there because I think they've got a good unit or a good core of guys that are figuring things out because it's not just Taylor. I know a lot of fans, when they talk about play calling or offensive design, I mean, it's not just one guy. It is a collective unit, and I kind of like – what's going on the execution to me is is a bigger issue yeah the the old line coaches i mean that's a huge aspect and honestly from my from my experience uh you know talking to some pretty high level uh you know coaches that i've that i've met before and and that i've worked with honestly a lot of offensive coaches offensive coordinators come up and they're really quarterbacks guys they're really pass games guys yeah and to really have success, they've, they've got to marry themselves. They've got to be connected with an old line person that they can mesh with and that they, they, they can work with. So uh, huge, huge signing. I think Gase and uh, uh, Adam Gase and uh, Frank Pollock, they share a connection through the Broncos, uh, through Kubiak with the Texans where, where, yeah. where Pollock was there. You know, so you see that wide zone, you see the boot. I think, Honestly, we saw that early from Taylor. I think Taylor wants to be more of of, of what the what the Broncos you know were with Kubiak with mm-hmm. Alex Gibbs, who you know, they have a connection with as well. Was in my opinion the best offensive line coach there ever was. Uh, you know, people will remember how how good how they could the, really the Denver Broncos around the turn of the century were their first team where you could put anybody at running back and they were dominant. Remember that, that? Was all Alex Gibbs. Yeah, uh, that, that was that awesome. That was though. that guy, and and now and now that's what everybody does. Now it's like, well, that's what you have to do. You can't pay a running back, you know. Uh, yeah. But but we forget that for almost twenty years, you know, John Elway couldn't win a Super Bowl because he didn't have a running back, you know. And 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 then all of a sudden, you know, Terrell Davis was there, but it also didn't matter because when Terrell Davis was gone, Mike Anderson was really good. No, Linda Scary was really good. Yeah, Portis. Uh, Clinton Port, well, yeah, Clinton Portis was really good though. <laughs> but, he was, uh, I know. Uh, you know, but I mean, Terrell Davis was obviously great in the Hall of Famer, but Terrell Davis, I think, was a sixth round pick. Right. You know, he's, I, you know, he's playing. He, he was on the kickoff team in in, in preseason that you year. You remember that he made a tackle. That's when. Yeah, yeah. I used to show that to players all the time. Like, this is what you need to do. Like, this is yep. how you get where you want to be by by standing out by doing anything that's Crush asked that you. Crush that guy but, too. 
Yeah, that was awesome. But um, something, you know, huge, huge aspect there. And you see the connections. Now, in 18, I went back and watched the watched a bunch of the film from 18. Much more productive. That old line was oh yeah worse than this yep. old line. Um, you can make a, a a case because of the situation at left tackle that uh, that 2019 was was worse than 2018, but but 2018 was uh, definitely worse than than 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were both, I believe, really big Frank Regnow fans. Yep. Uh, that year, the Bengals ended up taking Billy Price. So uh, was Pollock, I, which is important to note. I think Pollock yes. was ready to take Brett Ragnow. They had a card filled out that said Frank Ragnow, and um, they had their hearts broken. Yep, and I mean, we we all did. <laughs> yes, know? we did. So, he, Frank, Frank, we should also update. Frank Ragnow is fantastic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I know I, I missed the boat on this because uh, you're a big James Daniels guy as well, and, and, and he's doing a great job as well. I was... Um, I was a little. I had I had uh, Daniels and, and Price ranked about the same. I had Ragnar way in front of him, so I missed the boat on on Daniels a little bit. But you know, honestly, I went back and and Price looked quite a bit better in his rookie season than I remember. Uh, mm-hmm. Like we like I mentioned earlier, he was very excited about Frank Pollock coming back. You know, uh, hopefully that's you know that's something where he can he can take a, a, a step forward this year. And but I know you you say... were critical. Uh, at times about how they threw price into the center role. Whereas Frank yeah. Ragnow played guard uh, in his rookie season and they moved him over. So, I mean, do you think that's about, about Pollock? Do you, do you think he's to, to blame for that? Do you think they, they didn't do a great job of, of bringing in price? You know, it's, here's the part about that. Too. And I think Cesar Ruiz this year is playing guard and as a, what's his name was playing center from Texas A&M for the, for the saints. But you know, I'm just, that's a normal path. And I was critical of that because it's easier to get your feet wet at guard, less responsibility, and you can play, get your confidence up, and then you move those guys over when they're ready in year two. And and I think that makes a lot of sense to me from from the outside. And and they had Trey Hopkins sitting right there. They could have figured out Hopkins, hey, he's actually a good center. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I digress. And the point is, there is, is that Pollock's fault? I don't know that it is because the Bengals that year – it was like center or nothing, right? They they filled some decent holes in free agency, and it was like, yeah, they're going to draft a center, and it was the worst-kept secret. Everyone knew it. It's the reason why they're like, oh, my God. Uh, that's Ragnos why the Lions go- trade in front of them. Well, that's, they get their guy, right, and the Bengals are stunned. They're shocked, and they say, okay, we'll take the next guy, Billy Price, which is a terrible way to draft, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a whole other subject, right? And so they knew they needed a center. They were going to play him at center no matter what. I think they were going to play Frank Ragnow at center no matter what. So it's kind of hard to say. I don't think Price was Pollock's guy. I just think that at that point it deferred to Duke Tobin, and they took uh, Price at that time, and it was just like, okay, well, I'm going to do my best with what I have, and he's going to play center. Yeah, I actually just chimed in on a, on a Twitter conversation earlier uh, that this kind of reminds me of. So, you know, to me it's like I, I like – I like rag now. And then, you know, I think we both like rag now. I think the Bengals like rag now. You've got James Daniels in there. You've got Billy price. I mean, unless you had really had Billy price ranked a lot higher than James Daniels, that, that that's a, apparently that's a they did situation from what I remember. What, what's that? I, apparently they did have Daniels much lower than price. Okay. Uh, and I, I think Zimmer would have, t- and the Vikings would have taken price a few picks later anyway. So price was going in that range. Uh, okay. I mean, what is that worth, right? It really doesn't matter. I mean, it's like when someone says, hey, Drew Sample would have went in the third round. I don't care. You still, it's bad value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So I mean, I mean that, that kind of brings up the conversation of, of, of draft value and, um, you know, there was a, a, a mock draft that came out uh, recently. And like I said, you, you had posted it about it on Twitter. Uh, it has uh, the Bengals taking Slater uh, mm-hmm. at five from Northwestern uh, in, oh, instead of Penny Sewell. I mean, you know, if you, if you don't love the, the guy at that position, I mean, do, do you think that, you know, value, the, looking at the value of the pick and trading back and just making sure you, you get somebody when you know there's multiple guys – at a position, do you, do you think that is a smarter way to use your draft capital, or is it more about getting like your next target, like like they did with Price? I think you have to balance that, right? If, like, is it the target? Because you could also also use the same uh, argument that if like Ragnow is that much further, like you and I would have would have had Ragnow way ahead ahead of that center class, right? Yes. To give up that fourth round pick to move up three spots or two spots to get him and waste. Mark Walton, I mean, hindsight, right? But (laughs) that would have been completely worth it, obviously. So when you've got a guy that far ahead, you get him no matter what. You know, you go get him and he's your guy because you're that confident in it. And you're confident in every pick you make or else you wouldn't make the pick. But, um, you know, when they're on the board that far ahead, you go and get your guy. So looking at this class, if it's Sewell, Slater, and even Derisaw, I think is right there. I think Christian Derisaw, yes. yeah, he's good and he's big and he's long and strong and and you know for a guy that big is light on his feet and just a bully monster, uh, I think he's going to go top twelve. You got three tackles, I think are going top twelve. So where's the gap? If you don't have Sewell as a generational have to have him kind of guy, and some people do, some people don't. That's the thing. I think this is new for a lot of fans to hear the idea that wait, Sewell's not some can't miss Anthony Munoz. He's not, but some people believe he is, but not everyone does. So there's a distinction there. If the Bengals fall in that group where they feel all three guys are very close and comparable, yes, you trade back. Now, if they feel Sewell or even Slater or Darisaw, even if we get to that point, is clear and far ahead and, and, and better than everyone else, then you get your guy and you don't mess around. So uh, it's hard to say right now, right? It, it, right now, I say three guys are really good in this class. Let me trade back. And if and they're all gone, and I'm taking Kyle Pitts. But I, I think I can go back to 8, 9, 10 and end up with Derisaw. Then I am extremely happy with that. And I think that adds a second and maybe a fourth, fifth-round pick, especially if they're going to get a quarterback. You can probably get even more out of that. Yeah, that's worth it for a team that could really use the talent and, and more picks. Yeah, I mean, and that's a great point. I, I'm, I'm right with you. I, to me, Penny, like, he's not a, he's not a can't-miss guy. Uh, but – does he have top five pick upside? Does he have more upside than the other yeah. guys? That's that's the point you can make, you mm-hmm. know, because he does have some he does some special things athletically. I think if he would have played this year, it, we might be having a different conversation. Exactly. You know, I, I, I think we we might have played our way out of him by getting to five uh, if he would have played this year because he he had some things he needed to clean up. Um, definitely improved a lot towards the end of the year, but uh, he had some things he needed to to clean up as well. So. We'll have to see how that stuff goes. I think the point there that should always be reminded when draft season rolls around is when we're talking about underclassmen and this year because guys didn't play. But whenever we're talking about someone, whether it be a a quarterback that's a sophomore and they say, oh, this guy's a future number one pick or this guy's a top five pick, whoever you're talking about and you're saying a year in advance, you are saying that with the caveat, and it's a very important one, that if he continues the development curve he's on, if he continues the trajectory he's on, if he improves on these little areas, which you expect him to, then he's a top five pick. If he does not, then he won't be. And that's why people go, well, I thought everyone was talking about this guy as a top five pick. 
Well, yeah, we were if he would have con- continued the trajectory he was on. And so when you get a guy like Sewell that did not play, and neither did Rashawn Slater, we should say that. Yes. But So when you get a guy who did not play, you, you go back to that tape, and he was 18 and 19, so super young. That's an appealing yes. part, but it also means he's kind of raw when you watch him. He's winning because he's bigger, uh, nastier, and more athletic, and longer, and, and stronger than everyone he goes against, right? You watch him, and you go, oh, he— he missed his hand placement, but it doesn't matter because he's a freak. Look at that. And you just marvel <laughs> at, at what he can do, which is a good thing. You do want that. But you would have come away of last year's tape and say, okay, this guy's a lock for top three or five if he just cleans up a little bit of his footwork and handwork, and and he's a lock. He's a generational guy if that happens. We never got to see if that happened. That's the part. So I think fans need to realize that. We did not get to see that last few steps of development. We can assume he would have because he was so good at a young age. And it sounds like from people that do O-line work in the offseason and things like that, that he is doing that work. And the next time we see him, people are gonna, teams are going to go, oh, all right, let's go. And if that's the case, then we may have played ourselves out of it at five. Uh, but if it's, if it's not, then there is a decent chance he's there. Yeah, and... I mean, that's going to be the crazy thing about this year. You know, you're really going to have to do your homework. And, and when I say you're going to have to do your homework, I mean I mean NFL teams because we're not yeah. going to be able to do it from home uh, on guys like, like Penne, like Jamar Chase, like Slater. You know, these guys that didn't play, what have they been doing? You know, what, what have they been doing? I mean, they're not even going to have a combine. You know, so it, it's um, – I mean, it's going to be a very funky year. And whoever is most flexible – uh, in the way they evaluate players, you know, can get the most out of it, is is going to win big this year, in, in my opinion. Now, I think it's interesting, too, because we talk about all these linemen, and, you know, if you don't have Penny way above, uh, I, I'm right with you. I, I think Slater and Darius are very close two and three for me. Um, I like I like Cosme. I like Walker, Litter, uh, Walker Little. Like, there's some good players in there. We're, I we could see six guys go in the first round, but like the Dolphins, people think that they're going to take Penny. I I don't know why they don't take Chase because I th- I think they can get yeah. one of those guys uh, at eighteen, and I think the receiver talent takes a much bigger nosedive by eighteen than the offensive tackle talent does. And, and, and again, unless you're absolutely in love with Penny and you think he's he is the dude. Um, I think it takes a, a much bigger dive. So, um, you know, what are what are your thoughts as to kind of transition into into the receiver, the Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, uh, you know, even Jalen Waddle uh, conversation in the first round? Yeah, I know we got to talk about it because the guys are so good. I think normally we wouldn't have this conversation, and and also think about the Dolphins too. They drafted two offensive linemen last year, Austin Jackson, and Robert Hunt. Yes. So yep. I think they're primed to take a wide receiver. And now I don't know who fits them best. So we only care about us here with the with the Bengals. But I don't think we would talk receiver. And now I do think receiver is a need because they really don't have a speed guy, right? If I was looking at this team and I say, okay, Tyler Boyd, good. I love him in the slot not really threatening you as a defense. He's going to catch 10 balls for hundred yards and you'll probably take that on defense, but he's not going to be a game breaking guy that you really have to worry about, even though he's good. Uh, T Higgins has deep ability because he's got great ball skills, size uh, judges. It good in contested situations. He wasn't this year as, as, as good as he should have been, but I think he'll get back to where he was at Clemson and he can be a deep threat, a different kind of guy like AJ green was, uh, but you still that is not as scary still for defenses. It's the guy where, and I know John Ross sucked. He was a bust, he was a bust technically, 
but he would go out there and, and safeties would go, okay, start rotating that way right away. Like, all right, don't let him get over top of us. Nothing scares the defense more than a one play, 45, 60, 70 yard touchdown because uh, you, you give them 10, 12, 14 plays while they may be tired. I think defensive coaches look at that like, you know, I'll take my chance that we're going to create a turnover or have the offense, you know, mess up, whether it be a sack or a false start or a holding, whatever the case may be, and your drive's over. So, I, you know, I think um, Higgins isn't scaring defenses yet until he's a legit, you know, elite type downfield weapon. So what's that leave you with? If they had to go start a roster right now or, or, or play a game with the roster right now, it'd be Auden Tate, who is fine for a fourth guy, but he's, again, the speed factor is not there with him. I think you would clamp down on these guys if you're any defensive coordinator and you would roll that safety towards Higgins and say, okay, let's let's go and try and beat us over the top. And you'd probably feel pretty good about it. So they have a need at, at receiver. And now you can find, this is the thing for me. I love evaluating wide receivers. If they don't want to take one at five, that's fine. I'll find you a guy in round two, three, four, or five that can come in and help you in some way, uh, especially a guy that can that can get deep. But these two guys at the top, Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase, are so good that we have to talk about it. And we have to talk about it because, number one, Chase played with Burrow, and they were electric together. I mean, for as good as Burrow was, Chase was as good at receiver. And was doing it at 19 years old, which is just crazy. So it's that's up the alley the Bengals like, and I would love to have that, that connection there. And I think he's, I think he's more athletic and faster than people give him credit for because he was so good in contested situations and so strong. Uh, and I think that that type sometimes gets confused as one or the other. But mm-hmm. these guys, when they go top six, seven, eight, it's because they can do both. Normally, even Devonta Smith, who's not the biggest guy, uh, he makes some great arm you know a hand catches in traffic and and concentration through contact and i'm like okay he's that kind of guy too so we have to have the conversation i tend to drift towards the guy who produced at a younger age when all things are that close i will lean towards the analytics at that point and that would be jamar chase for me and uh if they did i think this receiving core is just filthy at that point yeah i'm glad you said that too because as we've gotten into the end of the season, people have been talking about the two, and they're like, well, Chase isn't that athletic. He's not a special, a special athlete. And I'm like, he's not? Right. <laughs> like, he averaged like was, 21 yards per catch. He was LSU's speed guy, you know, right. and, and I'm with you. And I think it's kind of perfect. Let's not talk about the fact that he played with Burrow before right now, but he's perfect for Burrow in that, to me, he is a speed guy mm-hmm. who can also – Exactly. make those contested catches and make those back shoulder catches and do a lot of the things that Burrow's really good at, but he's also the, the spread the field guy. Yep. That's why I think he's the perfect fit. Yak I, guy like, too. They don't have I, a yak guy. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and you make a good point too, because look, you, you got T. I think, I think people are going to be concerned about T deep. Uh, like they're concerned about AJ deep because he can mm-hmm. go up. He can be a jump ball guy. If you get a guy like chase who can stretch the field, you, you can't play a single high safety. No, now. no more. The run game and if you can't play a single high safety, number one, you can run the ball. And number two, a lot of stuff's going to be open in the middle of the field for Tyler Boyd as well. Exactly. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, that to me, that's a huge component of it, uh, being able to do that. Now, at the same point, you, you make a good, you know, a good case that I think there are some guys that you can get. I think you can get a guy in the third or fourth round that's going to be a good third receiver for you yeah. um i think you can probably not spend too much on a josh reynolds i think you were a big josh reynolds guy when he yeah. came out were you uh, that's right. you know i think you can do those things but 
this is like a special opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, you know, like when the, the Falcons didn't need Calvin Ridley, but they took him cause it was a, it was a special opportunity. And obviously the other things haven't gone well for them, but, um, that, that's you how know, I look at it. And, and I'm a big Devonte Smith fan. Like I really like Devonte Smith. He's good. But I think Chase is, I think Chase is the guy this team needs. Yeah, I'm with you. And you know, it's funny because even maybe like five to 10 years ago, there was a lot of argument. I I remember having this argument when the Bengals took AJ Green at four was it's a receiver. It's like the last piece to the puzzle right at the time. And, um, and how many good teams are actually winning with a number one type receiver. It was more like the spread it around. The slot guys were really becoming big at that time. Um, And I, they're not wrong. And then now you see what are the final four teams have, right? The Bills loaded at receiver headed by Stephon Diggs. The Chiefs loaded at receiver headed by Tyreek Hill and maybe even Sammy Watkins when he's healthy. He had a great Super Bowl last year. The Packers probably should have drafted a receiver, but Devontae Adams cannot be covered. I want that. And then you go to the Bucks right now, and they're loaded at receiver, right, headed by Mike Williams. <laughs> We're talking, guys, you need receivers now. And they may be a dime a dozen or getting to that point where every team's got three or four, even when the Bengals this year, terrible offense. But at times there were six, seven deep at receiver when Mike Thomas or Erickson were in there making a few plays and they weren't good. But that's the idea is that you have a depth chart now that is should be diverse and you got a guy that can give you everything or, or uh, enough guys that can give you everything that you should have a good receiving core. It is vital to an offense these days. So it's not overstated to say I know left tack, or it doesn't even have to be left tack. I know offensive line is a huge need, but rolling out Auden Tate as your number three right now is not ideal. And when three guys start, I want that guy to be somebody a little bit better. And if they don't address it in free agency, I think they address receiver. If if it's not at five, it's in round two or three. It's going to be a premium pick. Yeah, definitely, definitely needs to be uh, an, an investment there somewhere. And like you said, adding some speed there. And yeah, it's just Chase is just so perfect. And I, like. I don't buy the he's got a rapport with Burrow thing because I think that's going to come. You know, it's and, and it's sure. not about winning September next year. You know, it's about the long term plan. So I I don't even look at that. I don't even really care about that. Uh, but just because of, of, of what he can do as a very underrated speed guy mm-hmm. who can also make those contested catches, uh, I mean that would be lights out if they could do that. I'm just terrified because I, I I mean. I just think the the Dolphins are stupid if they don't take him. To be honest with you, so I know I'm I'm hoping we'll they take Devonta Smith. Like I'm yeah, like maybe, All right, yeah. maybe they'll decide they want their connection with Tua and and, and they'll go that route. So yeah. Um. All right, so that's uh you know that's a little bit about the draft. So I mean there is a, always that case. What if Chase isn't there? What if Penny isn't there? Maybe you can't trade down. Uh, you know people you know. Don't love these quarterbacks as much. Um, so the other big name and another playmaker in a slightly different role is Kyle Pitts. He's a tight end, but is he really a tight end? Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, I mean, is is a, is a Kyle Pitts a, a top five guy? Oh, talent. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Prospect. He's a top five prospect, I think, in my mind. Um, if it for me, it'd be... How I would rank them, it would be right now, um, I would take Penne over Chase just because I feel like getting that guy, and the the talent level on their offensive line right now is really poor. Getting that guy would do a lot for him, Um, but Chase is right there. I mean, I'm talking 
if one's in 90 or the other guy's in 89 in my, in, in my book, but then right there right behind them, my number three target right now would be Kyle Pitts. And I'd love it in a value situation where I can trade down. But yeah, as a prospect, I'm talking about a guy who's 20 years old and moves like a good receiver, like a freak receiver in that size. And it's crazy to watch him because you know what? The thing is, whether you watch Travis Kelsey this weekend or Darren Waller is kind of who I get more when I watch Pitts. Those guys can't be covered in today's NFL. It it haunts defensive coordinators, especially if you've got a guy that can get deep because you want to put a safety on that tight on that tight end because you feel more comfortable with the matchup athletically and size wise. Well, that means you've got to play single high, and it, that is scary because if you, this this team has weapons on the outside, it's the reason why Kelsey is so open for the Chiefs all the time. When you watch him this weekend, you're going to see because you got to help with Terry Kill out there. Kelsey's just me sitting by himself because they they're like, ah, hey, maybe we can bracket him with two linebackers. Maybe we can bracket him with a safety, the the in, the nickel corner, and the linebacker. It doesn't work. You can't cover the elite tight ends. But the other half of the conversation is these elite tight ends are normally drafted. Rounds three, four, five. Give me an, an athletic guy. He takes three years to develop because that seems to be the, the cycle for those guys. And then you have a good one. So I'm not against saying, you know, I, yeah, they could use an athletic tight end and let's take one in round four, the most athletic guy we can find, and let's develop him and see what he is in two years. That's a perfectly fine plan to me. But when I watch Kyle Pitts, I go, oh, my God, he can't be covered. And if you can add a guy who cannot be covered, I'm talking – you're going to feed him 120 targets at least his rookie year. He's the type of guy who is kind of your number one right away as a tight end, and that changes your offense, and it gives Burrow a high percentage target that can also create explosive plays out of it. It's just I want that on my team. I just don't want to spend what it's what it's going to require to spend it. Yeah, and, and look, if he's not giving you what you want in the run game – then you run 12 personnel and he's a glorified right. receiver. And, exactly. and you can make that work if you're if you're a halfway decent coach. How many times <laughs> do we see they, they motion in a receiver to block anyways? Screw yes, that. Absolutely. Uh, let's do it with Pitts instead. Uh, give me a three-by-one formation with, with uh, you know, Pitts on the outside isolated. Let Make the defense show you exactly what they're covering and what they're doing right then and there and just let them run iso routes against that guy and let's go. And it's funny because they love receivers they can block. <laughs> you know, <they> do. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, is, is he going to be any worse than that? No. Uh, and, and he's also, he's, he's six, six. And like, I feel like a lot of tight ends, even though they're big, like maybe because they're big, they're not really jump ball guys. They're just kind of right. stand there and be bigger guys. But it's like watching Jamar chase. Like he's a, he's a good contested catch type of guy. And you want to put a safety on him? Do you have a safety that's six six? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you're probably you're probably better off putting a linebacker on him if you, if you got one that can run. Um, I mean, it just creates all kinds of kinds of nightmares uh, for a defensive coordinator when you've got a guy like that. You're thinking, what what are we going to do with this guy? Because yeah, it's you know, it's you're losing either way. You know, like you're you're losing on speed if you put a linebacker out there, but you're losing on the on the size uh, if you're if you put a safety on him. So, and with the ball placement of Burrow, like go ahead and put the smaller guy on him, and he'll cover and stay in in Pitt's hip pocket, maybe. Uh, you know, because this guy, yeah, that better be a pretty athletic safety. Um, but Burrow, it wouldn't matter. That would still be open for a guy like Burrow. So, we talked about the offense, uh, the. 
really the change in O-line was the most obvious change. The other change that a lot of people thought was coming that didn't come was a defensive coordinator. Um, Anarumo suspected fire, not fired. Uh, what are your thoughts on Anarumo over the last two seasons? And, I mean, is he a guy that when you get the offense where it needs to be, you know, I, we're, let's not compare him to Wink Martindale or anything. Right. Uh, but when you get the offense where it needs to be, do you think Anarumo can be a guy that can that can have the defense, you know, competitive enough to be able to hold teams under 30 points when, when the offense is able to score like that on a regular basis? Because let's be honest, that's the goal at this point, right? Score 30, hold, get a turnover or a punt or a field goal, and you win the game, right? Yes. And that's how it works in today's NFL. And they're not too far from that. I think the hard part of this question is we haven't seen – how many games have we seen with the offense clicking like that? Mm-hmm. four maybe in two years and yeah they did the job for most of those games so it's hard to say um you really just don't know yet you got to take bits and pieces of when they beat or at least stayed competitive in games and you go okay you know it's a good game plan against the titans it's good against the steelers it was a good game plan against the texans whatever the case may be um and you you pull pieces from that i think the part with anarumo that makes it maybe it, it controls the conversation a little bit too much is how the Bengals came to Anaruma, right? How they ended mm-hmm. up getting to that spot of they seemed like about four or five guys turned them down or they couldn't come to an agreement with whatever the case may be. And Turner, or I'm sorry, Taylor fell back on a guy he worked with in Miami and Lou Anarumo. And it seemed like he was sure a shot in the dark, um, he's going to play a multiple defense. I like that. Uh, I, I like actually having a defensive backs coach. I feel like they are the guys that would see the entire defense for what it is rather than a guy who maybe just be a linebacker or a D-line coach. So he's got that vision of knowing what everyone should do. So I was fine with it, uh, you know, and all things considered with the path they had to take to get there and, and to get to them. The th- thing that also throws me off since then is the rumblings, the the things you hear, uh, the, the discontent of – maybe like a, uh, a Carlos Dunlap where it's like, man, he had no respect for Lan- Lou Anarumo at all. Um, I remember right before Preston Brown was cut, uh, Nick Vigil and I was uh, a source told me that what was going on with there, like Nick Vigil had to go to them and say, guys, we don't have clear checks. We don't have clear rules on this stuff. If this guy goes into motion, what do you want us to do? Um, how how do you want us to react if they're coming out in a three by one? How do you want us to react if they come out in eleven personnel and and then go bunch? I mean, they just did not have things defined. He was in over his head. It sounded like, and this wasn't from one guy. So I'm your linebacker. It's trying to call plays here, and he doesn't know what to call when things are happening, and he wants to know what to call. And and so he had to call a, a meeting of get. We need some basic stuff. You know, we talk about the O line and the run game last year at the bye week, figuring it out. The defense went through a similar transition in, in that time frame, uh, and with with better results. I mean, I think that that's part of the overall story of this coaching staff. I think in a lot of ways is um, the the little rumors and rumblings you hear of they don't know everything yet, and that would be okay if they had better results on the field and they were learning on the job. I think having the COVID season doesn't help when you can't get guys in, you can't figure out how to, uh, you know, can't, you can't practice 
running a practice as a coach. You, know, you might mm-hmm. say, oh, well, you know, we can be a little more efficient here. I remember going to the Senior Bowl, probably the last time all of these reporters and beat guys saw this uh, this coaching staff in action. And there was a lot of talk with people that, you know, were sitting at the bar that night and a lot of people were like, why do the Bengals run it like that? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, watch the Lions tomorrow. And the Lions are super efficient. And, you know, like they, they're using all four corners of the field at all times and everyone's getting practice time. Then you go back and you watch Bengals, you go, oh, yeah, there's guys standing around, not really doing anything, waiting for that part of the field to be not used so they can get in there. So I'm like, all right, so are they not practicing as efficient? It's a lot of things like this where you go, okay, all right, well, they've got to figure it out. they got to iron some things out. And I think when you hear about Lou Anarumo and how some of the players viewed him, was it was along those lines of, yeah, he's in over his head. And I think some veteran guys were just weren't down with it. And I think that's why they had to purge a few of them. And they did. And maybe now guys like Jesse Bates can, can you know, gather these guys up. And, you know, Carl Lawson finally gets to be a full-time starter. So if they retain him, maybe he can rally them around Anarumo and get them all to buy in because that is a huge part of actually churning out results for a team with a new staff. Uh, I don't know. I think they could have upgraded at that position but i wonder like even if we, i ranked offensive coaches earlier i even think defensive coordinator comes behind offensive line coach and what today's important it, importance is in the nfl so it, they just have to be good enough to be a competitive team and then we'll we may get to that point if they go eight and eight and the defense is still a bottom 10 unit where we go all right now's the time to get someone else and that would be the time they would actually attract somebody yeah, you know, I think it's kind of interesting, too, because you mentioned the Steelers game. You know, the Titans were the Titans are a good team. You know, yeah. the Titans are, that was a playoff-level team. Yeah. Um, it seems like they play the best against some of the better competition they face. Um, and really, like that, like that first Steelers game, the Steelers had six possessions in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, it was just part of the sixth possession in the first quarter, but that's a half of football, you know, because uh, Alex Erickson fumbled a punt. I think there was an interception or a fumble on yep. offense in there, something like that. Like they were in some shitty spots, and, you know. It really, in the, that first Ravens game too. Uh, there were a couple of turnovers early that led to those early points in the first quarter. The, yeah, it's one of those games you want to throw out the tape, right? Yeah, the the, the uh, Bengals. There was a fumble, and and the Ravens returned it later in the game. So like. For the majority of the di- the game, the defense was playing really well, uh, and again against you know I look Lamar was banged up I get it but like against a pretty pretty good competition there so it's interesting they can stand up in those situations now if year two of Burrow and hopefully seeing some more out of the offensive staff like. You know, you mentioned the things that are important about defense. I kind of feel like that's important too. That's like a stop the bleeding moment. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, can can the defense hold this good offense long enough to, so our offense can figure some shit out? I don't think we can undersell that point. If the offense is good, the defense is dramatically improved because absolutely you want to be game script is like. If you're a younger fan or maybe that we don't talk about game script enough, it should be talked about way more than it is. When you are in control of the game and you can run it at will because you're ahead, you can pass rush because you're ahead, you can, you know, run some tricky stuff, you can you can you, you can pass block a little bit more cuz you're ahead and and you're not coming from behind. So much 
of what you can actually execute is dependent on the game script and being in control of the game. The defense for the last two years has rarely been in control of a situation, and it's only the fault of the offense. The offense has been bad for if we've played, what, 32 games now in, in two years, they've been bad for 24 of them maybe, let's say, or at least not. Not in the point where the defense has any help at all. It, it, you're not going to you. You can throw away anything you know of for the, that many games on defense. You just can't look at it and say, "Oh, they, you know, they played well for this drive or that drive." Yeah, that's how it's going to look. And then eventually they're going to break, and it's going to be 400 yards in week 17. And people, you know, I've heard Jeff Hobson recently mention that a lot, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's what's going to happen when the offense can't move the ball at all. That is that will happen every week if a team wants to run it that much." And you know, it's just, it's so tied to the offensive output. Yeah, and really, you mentioned what's important about defense. And and look, yeah, red zone defense yeah. and creating turnovers, especially when you have Joe Burrow, when you have that quarterback. Can I get that guy opportunities? Can I get that guy more touches in the ball? We saw a couple of years ago, look, the, the NFL rules at the time helped out the Patriots by Patrick Mahomes not getting touched the ball in overtime. But the Patriots used the clock, and I say used the clock, not ran the football, but they let time tick on the clock when they were on offense and stole a possession yeah, from that's the other part. <laughs> you know, like you can do that with your offense and be smart and take the you know take a possession away from that guy, but your defense needs to create possessions for that guy. That's what it's all about. And as a defensive coach. The majority of the time you're thinking, I, I can't get beat. You know, yep. you know, like it's about I'm not going to give up a big play. Look when at these finals. Going four. for a pick, when are you going for a turnover? Right. It's the situations that you can predict. It's getting them into a certain formation in a certain for, part of the field in a certain down and distance. When you've done all the homework and you know this is it, we can jump this ball. We can take a shot at it because we know what's coming. It's about creating those opportunities. And when you're in a better position because your offense is playing, you're able to create more of those those uh, positions. But uh, un- unfortunately, I mean, you know, like I said, it's kind of on the offense for the defense not being able to you know, be in those positions. But to me, the one thing I would say about Anarumo, you know, like I, I don't think if you want to fire him because you don't think he, he's good enough to be the guy who to get you to where you want to be, I'm fine with that. I I, I don't think he deserved to be fired based on their performance last year because of all those bad situations they, yeah. they were in and because of some personnel issues that they had. Um, but if you want to say Lou and Aruma didn't create enough turnovers, that that I 100% on board with because th- this defense did not create enough turnovers. Um, so that's definitely something we need to see along with that offensive production, them figuring out how to how to create those turnover opportunities. Because, yeah, that's definitely what, it, what it's that's, all about, stealing opportunities for your quarterback. Man, wild card weekend. I, you know, watch playoff football. I, I know a lot of fans, and maybe you're listening to this because you're just straight up a Bengals fan, that watch their team, they shut off the TV, and that's it for the day, right? You've got to watch the rest of the league, especially, and people are probably watching the playoffs. They get high ratings. But you've got to pay attention to what you're watching. Watch how many of these defenses are punching at the ball, constantly punching at the ball. Uh, watch how often they capitalize when that ball gets tipped, when they're diving for it, and they're actually going to come up with these interceptions. 
the Bengals, I mean, I think of Darius Phillips versus the Steelers, should have had three interceptions. <laughs> Didn't come down with any of those that are in his hands, and he's got good ball skills. I mean, creating turnover opportunities is great. Capitalizing on turn oppor- turnover opportunities is the goal. And I think the Bengals have a long way to go there. I'm with you. I, I'd love to see them if they were just drilling, uh, punching the ball out constantly. And I think if you – Marlon Humphrey gets 10 forced fumbles in a year. That's crazy, man. And we're talking receivers are the guys that are going to fumble. You need to be punching the ball out of those guys as much as possible. Uh, and the, look at these final four teams in the in the playoffs right now. Do any of them really have a great defense? You wouldn't say so. You'd say they all are led by their offense. But you look at their numbers, and they're not that bad on defense-wide. Game script, man. The offense is scoring 30-plus points a game. And now the, the that pass rush is pinning their ears back, and they're creating turnover opportunities because those windows are getting tighter and tighter because they're only rushing four, and they can mm-hmm. play like that. You know, So I, I think you know it is a hand-in-hand. It's a very symbiotic relationship between offense and, and defense in this league right now. Absolutely. You know, that was a big thing. Like, whatever was going on with Dunlap, he wasn't getting it done for them. Um, Hubbard was banged up. Yeah. Gino was obviously very much hurt. So, like, you had Carl Lawson. You know, like, you had one guy. And, 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 and you know, being able to have that pass pressure, that's going to create some turnover opportunities for you in the secondary. You made a great point. I'm trying to remember. Uh, help me out if you, if you remember it, but... Was it the Browns game where they broke a long run and Bates came in from behind and punched the ball out? Oh man, I'm not remembering that at all. I can see I can see the play and I can't I can't even make it. It had to be. It was the Browns. Uh so yeah, I mean, you know, like you know, you see he, him doing it, and that's honestly like that's the best opportunity for you there in the secondary because you have to be confident enough that your teammates are coming to rally for the tackle, right? Yes. And that's the only way you can really do it. And and I totally understand it if you're like, all right, I need to make a sure tackle here because I'm the only guy out here, or right. or the rest of the team is loafing and not getting here. But if you feel like the rest, like the Ravens, they are a team rally tackle type team. Go ahead, and, go ahead and punch that ball out. Hold that guy up. You know, how many times do you see the whistle blown against the Ravens? They don't even put the ball, the guy to the ground. Yes. There's four guys around him, and they're ripping at the ball, and they just have stopped his his progression. Yes, and, and that's exactly – and this is uh, – you know, I've I, I mentioned some things about tackling from time to time. Um, yeah, number one, you don't you – don't you, you and I have talked about this in terms of concussions and stuff. We've been in some, some of the same opportunities. But, yeah. like, look, the way to tackle to not get concussions – it's just it's to tackle high, like yeah. you bend your waist, but you keep your head up. Mm-hmm. You shoot your hips. It's just like like everything else. Like your power's in your hips. You shoot your hips. It's like doing a like doing a snatch or a power clean or something. Like your head's not down. So that's number one. That's safe. Number two, it's a sure tackle. And number three, you keep the guy up because you don't want to tackle. Like <laughs> like you want right. to eventually you're gonna tackle him. But but just like you're saying about the Ravens, it's like eventually they're gonna blow the whistle. You just gotta hold on and then. You know, especially that second guy, you know, be able to come in and rip the ball out like that. That's what's creating those opportunities, you know, for uh, for the turnovers. And and again, you know, it doesn't think of that. Like, that's what it's about. That, that's what defensive football is nowadays. It, it, that, it's creating opportunities. It is. Think of that Bills Colts game. You remember they um they they fumble right at the end that they ruled the guy was down right, and they ruled that they blew the whistle whatever whatever even after reviewing that wild card game here. And Jor- Jordan Poyer waits for the receiver to get up. I think it was Michael Pittman waits for him to get off the ground and then punches the ball out. Like 
if that's not if they're not teaching that, I would be completely surprised of that type of situational awareness of Absolutely. guys. Yeah, you can jump on them and and lay an elbow into them if you want, and a lot of defensive guys would love to that opportunity to hit the guy while he's on the ground for a free tackle. But is it about tackling the guy, or is it about creating an opportunity to get that ball back for your offense? And I think just you just don't see that enough where the Bengals are are aware of the situation enough to be like, okay, we can punch this ball up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and and again, a big part of that you mentioned, you know, loafing and stuff like like it's about trust. You know, it's yeah. about knowing I can go for this because that guy's got my back. Because we're not going to give up a touchdown even if I miss this tackle because I'm going for the ball. Um, you know, when you talk about tackling, people talk about putting your head into it. You know, like they used to teach that. Like they can't be teaching that anymore, and like nobody should be teaching that anymore because it, it's we know too much now. And I think um, that's why fumbles are different now too, right? Remember you put your head on the ball and you'd knock that thing out of there. You don't see mm-hmm. that as much now because guys aren't dropping their heads and spearing. So mm-hmm. a different way to force the fumbles is definitely the punching now. Absolutely. So uh, we're going a little bit long here, but uh, you know, just, just one more thing as long as we're on the topic of defense. Uh, no change to the defensive coordinator, but probably the most obvious position to change on the defensive side of the ball would be the D-line coach. I mean, really, they, they got a new corners coach and a new linebackers coach last year and seem to be on a on a, a better page with things now. Uh, but, you know, you look at this defensive line, I, I kind of – honestly, I thought sometimes it, it was like they were getting pressure, but they weren't using disengage moves, which I kind of right. look at coaching and I think, what, are they not being told to get off the blocks? Uh, so so they did move on from Nick Eason. They brought in Marion Hobby. Um you know, he's, he's a guy, he's got some experience uh, with the Dolphins, with the Jaguars, uh, with Clemson, Coach DJ Reader for, for all four years, uh, was also co-defensive coordinator there. He was, he was technically the defensive ends coach, but I'm sure he had something to do with DJ Reader there. A lot of experience. Um, so, and, and, and also, by the way, coaching with Flores, that's a true 3-4. Yeah, like that's a real three-four defense. You know that they're they're running in uh, in Miami. A lot of bare fronts. Some of the stuff that that, that we see. So, good defense makes sense in terms of a scheme fit there. Uh, what what are your thoughts on Hobby? You know, I like a guy with a lot of experience. Obviously, that helps. I think the coaching staff that first year we, when we looked at it across the board, we're like, ooh, they, they are light on experience. And then they get the um, uh, oh, I'm trying to I'm forgetting the name of the linebacker coach that they hired last year and. You know, they, they have slowly started to gain a little bit more experience back on the staff, and I think that's key. So I'm I'm good with that. I think the hard part for me when they had Eason, and it, this it's funny, on, on the Lockdown podcast when my co-host and I were talking during these hirings, we were like, man, this is such a weird defensive staff they're putting together. they got some 3-4 guys, some 4-3 guys, some zone blitz guys. Uh, I typically am not, if you're going to have some three, four elements, I'd like to have an outside linebacker coach, inside linebacker coach, or an edge coach versus my interior D-line coach. You, the Ravens do this. And I think because it's different skills, it's different positions. you got Nick Eason, who was an interior guy his whole life. Uh, coaching edge guys, I'm not expecting the most productivity out of that position. Maybe that's just me and being a little short-sighted and, or using a little hindsight, too, because they, they could have been more productive on the defensive line. But uh, you brought this up. And I think it should be hammered home as many times as much as possible. When you've got one guy creating pressure consistently in Carl Lawson, you are not going to have a good pass rush as a unit. It takes three guys, and uh, you can have. And I don't mean you need three Carl Lawsons. I mean you need Carl Lawson, and ideally, when they had Atkins and Dunlap, they were getting pressure, you know, with Lawson as much as possible. When Lawson wasn't playing, or Michael Johnson was down, 
Even with Atkins and Dunlap, it dropped. I think you need a triangle. You need interior pressure, and you need both edge pressures. And right now, the Bengals are far away from it. it could, you can argue it's as big of a need, that defensive line and getting a pass rusher or getting two more is as big as offensive line need. And it's just not as important as the whole line of protecting Burrow, so it's taking a back seat in, in terms of rankings. Uh, but I think they've got a long way to go there in, in getting these guys to being a respectable pass rush. Whether it's 3-4, 4-3, four, four, I don't care. You need three guys to get it done. Um, so for me, uh, I think he's got his work cut out for him because I think they need to find a new three tech. I think they need to find another edge. So even if he coaches them well, they don't have the players right now to be where we want them to be. Yeah, they definitely need uh, need to focus on the, on the defensive line. I think really the problems with the defense last year, no CB2. I love Darius Phillips, but he should be your fourth guy. Right. And, and, and we see what happens when he's not, by the way, because then when he gets hurt, you got LaShawn Simpson right. there. You know, he's so, an ideal number four guy, to be honest. He is, yeah, he's perfect because he can play inside and out. He's he's, yep. he's a good, solid player in, in any of those spots. So, um, you know, so Trey comes back and they put a lot of money into him. But if you if you have Trey and you re-sign uh, uh, William Jackson, mm. you can feel pretty good about that secondary. Oh yeah, it is it is the D line. Like you, you gotta, you gotta figure something out there. You gotta, you know. To me, it's like you need when Hubbard goes inside, you know, to really for Reader. Hubbard should be going inside for Reader. You need a three technique that can rush, and then you need another guy to go on the outside when when Hubbard bumps in. I don't. I mean, look, those these guys cost a lot of money. I think you can find some guys though. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the guys that we like in the draft right now that we we think are. A lot of the guys being mocked in the in the third round and stuff, like uh, Patrick Jones from Pittsburgh, like that guy's like a, a mid round pick right now in mock drafts. Yeah, I think that guy's going the first damn round. That guy. Oh, awesome. if he's not, he's the pick at <laughs> whatever they pick in round two. You know what I mean? I think that's where he ends up. Yeah, you better be. Yeah, you better be picking up picking up your damn phone because that that dude is Chandler freaking Jones. They got a free tech too. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. It, man, it, if if they don't get one of those guys, and, and uh, yeah, they, the the Tywin guy they got, they got yeah. this dude Weaver too. And, like honestly, Weaver might be the best fit for the Bengals of the of the group because I think he could be like a five technique, but he can also rush from the three technique. Like just go watch Pitt D line. Just this versatility. Go yeah. have fun with that. It's a good time. Yeah, if they get anybody from that D line, I'm freaking happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I think there are some guys you can get. Like again, if you get really excited about a guy and you think he's low. You're probably right, and he's probably going to go really high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you like him that much, he's gonna yeah. go way higher than you think. I remember this. I remember I've plenty of times been in January, like, oh man, this this Stephon Gilmore is really good. I'd love to have him at 21. Well, he ends up, you know, going way higher than that, and and but, that's how it happens. And I think mock drafts tend to underestimate how fast pass rushers go in the draft. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like pass rushers. Uh, pass rushers and offensive tackles, like there's going to be like six of each taken in the first round, and, and nobody's putting that in their mock right now. But it, it, it's probably going to freaking happen. So it's a thing I, that every team needs. Every team needs offensive line help. Every team wants more pass rush. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how those things break down. But I don't know. I mean, I think if you're good, if you evaluate, like I think you can get it without going crazy with your investment there. Like if you can fall into a guy, a yeah. Basham or a Jones or one of those guys. In the yeah. second round, like you're golden, like you're you're making out pretty damn well if if you can if you can fall into one of those positions. So and that's um, why free agency. I'm, I'm with you 100 because we talk about like a lot of people are talking about fix the offense, fix the offense, fix the offense. And it's like, yeah, but 
you got to help them out by, by having a defense too. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say in free agency, if they can go get a third wave D end or a third wave, you know, let's say they lose William Jackson, right? And it feels like that for some reason they should not, it should not happen. But if it does like go get a a defensive end to help out because your pat, your, your corners, you're going to take a downgrade. William Jackson uh, on most accounts is the best corner available in free agents, best veteran. If you're not spending a number five pick, you means you're getting worse off at that position. Even if it's in round two, round three, wherever they end up with a corner, you need that means, okay, you may want to take, you don't want to spend 16 million on Jackson. You better go spend 8 million on another pass rusher of some sort. And so I, in my opinion, um, w- this draft talk and defense talk is I'm kind of waiting to hold of what happens with Carl Lawson and William Jackson. Cause those are two of your four best players on defense. I'm, I'm thinking Bates and reader is the other ones. Um, it, it's important. How do I build my defense and how I'm going to construct and attack it is largely dependent on those two guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and for all the issues the defense has, if those two guys walk, you suck. Yep. And Bad. You go from being like the 26th defense to you are 32. <laughs> no and, doubt. I mean, and honestly, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who, if 30 points is enough at that point. Like, you, right. <laughs> and, and we're not even just talking about the Chiefs and Packers game. Like, man, like, that, that, that it's not enough because you're not doing a damn – you're not getting after the quarterback at all without without Lawson on the field. Uh, covering. I, I like Hubbard, but he's a role player. Sorry. And, um, and yeah. And, good. And, Hubbard's good against the run, but what is that worth? Yes. That's like having a nose tackle. Like, I mean, I like DJ Reader. I'm glad they signed him. I'm glad they spent that money. But he is a nose tackle that is better against the run. So – you know, they've kind of already said, uh, we like these guys. I wouldn't be a su- surprised if they extend Hubbard in this offseason. But that what that means is you guys are really, really, really hurting for another pass rusher. You know who Hubbard is? And this is going to be sound like Michael a crazy Johnson. competition. What's that? He's Michael Johnson. Oh, I was going to make a crazier one. I was going to say oh, okay. he's Patrick Chung. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. He's in a completely different position. Yeah, yeah. Well, because well, Patrick Chung is like the man with the Patriots, but he left for a year and, and, and he couldn't do anything. And he went into about going back. Like, oh, I think, Johnson. The, I think the Bengals really get Sam Hubbard. I think they're maximizing his talent. Like, oh, yeah. You look at his sacks. He had, he had like eight or nine sacks last year. I think it was 8.5, actually. Yeah. And, but you look at him, most of them are created. Yeah. Like, they, they know how to stun him, they know how to put him in different positions. He's actually pretty good. He's actually a pretty good three, four outside linebacker. Unlike, yeah. you know, that, that wasn't really a natural position for, for Carlos. Anthony Spencer for the Cowboys, three, four outside linebacker guy, but really was never should have been good mm. against the run high effort guy really cleaned up a lot of DeMarcus Ware's pressures and sacks only because Marcus Ware was so damn good. And they had other good, you know, defensive yeah. linemen too in there, but like that's who Hubbard reminds me of too. If like, if he's your third or fourth guy in your D line, great. I'm happy. Let's do it. But right yes. now he's your number two, and that's, you're just looking at it like, ah, we are. Yeah, it's not good enough. Yeah, excellent role player, but let's not let's not break the uh, break the bank for him, and let's not like put too much on him and say, well, this has got to be our top sack guy because you're in a lot of freaking trouble if that's that's how you're trying to create pressure. So, all right. Well, um, again, uh, today's guest, Joe Goodberry. Uh, Lots of lots of good conversation here, so appreciate uh, you joining us, um, Joe. If if people aren't following you yet, where can they they follow you and in, in your work and your opinions here? It's on Twitter. It's the best place to reach me um, at Joe Goodberry, just like it sounds. And um, we'll talk about everything and anything for the most part. 
All right. Sounds good. So, yeah, make sure you are giving Joe a follow, uh, you know, semi-retired now, but uh, <laughs> still still. Still, the uh, still, there. still watching, probably just watching as much film as he is, just not, uh, just not having to organize his, his thoughts oh, in more than, so, uh, it, it, more than exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it, fall asleep, wake up. Mm, I think it was in the third quarter. Let's go back to it. You know, and I don't have to write anything. It's great. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's an, it's an addiction. It really is. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I got here. Cause I was, a uh, cause I, you know, my, like coach Minnick is not a, uh, it's not a character. It's not a brand. It's it's a Twitter account that was set up for recruiting, and you know, like, now now that I'm uh I'm now less actively coaching, I actually am coaching again. But now that I'm not coaching full time, it's just like I have to have an outlet. I have to watch film. I have to talk about it. Um, and and it's the same thing, you know. Like you can you can try and get out, you know, but but we're gonna drag you back back in, and you know, especially when they start winning some games, you're not gonna be able to stay away. So, <laughs> but anyway, Joe, appreciate, uh, uh, appreciate you coming on today. Uh, and everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for, for, for checking it out. Who day will be here all, uh, off season. Who day. Yeah, we coming forward with sours. Yeah, we coming forward with sours. You hear the crowd, we coming forward with sours.